Let us pray. Lord, on this, the day of Pentecost, we are mindful that the church began. It literally exploded. It multiplied across the known world. The very power of the Holy Spirit entered in the hearts of people. We pray, too, for a special measure of the Spirit in our lives so that we might be used by you. We pray it in your Son's precious name. Amen. How many of you are professional football fans? A few of you? Okay. You know, every NFL quarterback has a favorite receiver. Let's look at the next screen. We know, if you are old enough for me, Johnny Unitas had a guy by the name of Raymond Berry. That was his go-to guy. Next picture. Terry Bradshaw, that's actually after he became famous, after the Duck Dynasty guy pushed him out of the starting job at Louisiana Tech. You know, his go-to guy was Lynn Swan. Next one. Uh, Joe Montana, the 49ers. His go-to guy was Jerry Rice. Next picture. Steve Young was also lucky enough to have Jerry Rice still as his go-to guy. Let's get a little closer to home. Troy Aikman. You recognize Michael Urban. And finally, Tony Romo's favorite wide receiver is anybody who plays for the other team. (laughs) Well... Regardless of all, all great quarterbacks have had their go-to guy. Uh, when they absolutely positively needed to make a play, they turned to these people. You know, having lived in Chicago for a long time through the Chicago Bulls' big run, I know that when they needed a basket, the ball was put in Michael Jordan's hands. As a Dodger fan over the years, When the Dodgers needed an important hit, I can still remember the World Series playoffs when they asked an injured Kirk Gibson to limp to the plate where he delivered a game-winning home run. Every great organization, every great church, every great ministry, every great business has what I would call a go-to person that they can count on to get things done. Everybody who is a leader knows you need a go-to person. Now, do you know what I want? I want to be God's go-to guy. When he wants something done for his glory, I want him to think about me. Now, I, I am not saying this to sound egotistical. I'm not saying this to be prideful. I'm not saying this because I think I'm particularly special. I'm not. That's not the reason I say it. I just want God to know that I take seriously whatever opportunity he chooses to place before me. Anytime God says, Barry, I'd like to use you, I want to be able to say I'm your go-to guy. And in the same way, it's been my prayer for this church for five years or so that we would strive to be more and more God's go-to community. And that can only happen when you individually determine to become God's go-to person in this church as well as with your family or in your neighborhood or in your classroom or your job or 
wherever God leads you. Now, today we're going to talk about how to be that kind of resource in the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at one of the real key go-to guys in the early church. And I'm talking about the Apostle Peter. Here is a man that God used in a really great way. Now, we know that on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up. Peter, who was always prone to open his mouth and stick both sandaled feet in them, stood up and preached a sermon. And if you've ever read Peter's sermon, it's a whole lot shorter than mine ever are. And yet, when he was done that day on Pentecost, 3,000 people walked the aisle, professed Christ as their Savior, and got baptized. We know it wasn't long after that, he and a couple of other disciples were walking into the temple for worship, and there was a guy sitting there begging, and Peter told him, Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you. And he took him by the hand and said, get up and walk. And the man got up and he walked, he leaped, he jumped all around the temple praising God. A few chapters later, we know God used Peter to stand up in front of the Sanhedrin, the kind of the religious heat of that day, uh, inspired him to proclaim in Acts chapter 4.12, there you see it, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, you've got to understand, that was an extremely profound statement to make in people who still did not believe that the Messiah had come. We know that when deception and honesty made an ugly appearance in the early church, God used uh, Peter to confront two people who cheated on their offerings Ananias and Sapphira, and they dropped dead when Peter told them, you've sinned against the Holy Spirit. That'd make for a scary stewardship sermon, wouldn't it? And then there was Simon the sorcerer who said, can you teach me to do miracles like you? I'll even pay to learn how. And Peter basically said, you and your money can go to hell. That's, believe it, that's the literal translation of that verse in the original languages. I mean, that's the kind of guy Peter became. I mean, when there were people that were sick, they brought them to Peter. God used Peter to pray for them. Acts chapter 5, verse 15, it says, As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. I mean, this guy, without a doubt was God's go-to guy in that day. We see this uh, more fully illustrated in the reading that Nancy shared with you before. And in fact, in this story, I think we can pull at least three good things out of here to figure out how you and I can be God's go-to people. And the very first thing I want to say is this. If you want to be God's go-to person, be the best at what you do. Be the best at whatever it is you do. Now, in the story, a young woman had died. Now, all death is a tragedy. There's no doubt about it. But the disciples, for some reason, believed that this woman had died before her time. That there was more for this woman still to do in the kingdom of God. And they wanted God to perform a miracle. So in Acts 9.38, it says, When the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, 
they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. They knew Peter. They knew his reputation. They had seen the powerful way that God had used him. Uh, They said, when we need a miracle of this magnitude, history has proven that Peter is the guy you keep on speed dial. Peter is God's go-to guy. Now, some of you may already be thinking, well, hold it. I walk by people, and if my shadow lands on them, they say to me, get out of the sun. (laughs) When people are sick, nobody ever calls me, or rarely ever calls me to pray for healing. I have yet to walk into a hospital where somebody has died and laid hands on them and they came back to life. I haven't done any miracle of any kind, so how am I possibly going to be like Peter, God's go-to guy? Well, pretty simple. I'm going to be brutally honest with all of us. You and I may not have the same kind of gifts as Peter. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But you can be sure of something else. Every last one of you, every last one of you from Gage all the way to Betty in the back, God has given you gifts. He's given you gifts. I don't know what they all are. Maybe some of you don't even know yet what your gift is. But he's given you some gift that he wants you to use in his service. He wants you to be involved in ministry. Maybe some of you spotted Jason back from Cuba this morning. Buenos dias, como estad, and all of that. Well, I know for a fact that before he went, he wondered about a few things. I remember he wondering a little bit about sharing his testimony and about preaching or whatever. It wasn't sure. I bet things worked out okay. They did. God put something in you that it took a trip to Cuba to bring out. That's all I'm saying. God has given each of you gifts, whether it be to sing or to play or to whatever. Uh, It's ministry. It's whatever you do for other people in the name of Jesus. Uh, I love this statement. We have been saved by grace through faith for service. We need to remember that all the time. Saved by grace through faith for service. That's kind of a paraphrase of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Now, I'm encouraging you, as well as I encourage myself, to pursue your gifts with a spirit of excellence. I mean, when you figure out what it is you're good at, get really good at it. And when you're really good at something, people start calling you and asking you if you want to join. Now, I don't know for sure, but we got three, well, four musicians sitting here. I bet that some of you guys are well enough known that you play the bass or the lead or the drums that other people from time to time call you and say, you want to sit in? Would I be somewhat accurate? Does that happen from time to time? You sit in with other people. Yeah. They know you by reputation. Well, that's okay. Hopefully it's a good reputation. Now, this is how Paul explained it. He said, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability, and here he says the ability, for example, to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Now, I would say that if your gift, if God has given you the gift of service, then serve people well. If you're a teacher, teach with excellence. 
If your gift is to encourage other people, be encouraging to the best of your ability. If your gift God has given you is giving, then give generously. If God's given you some leadership ability, then take that responsibility seriously and lead. And if you've got a gift for showing kindness to other people, do it gladly. I mean, there's all kinds of gifts that are talked about in the Bible. You all got them. You just need to figure them out and then do them with excellence. He's saying that whatever you're gifted at, pursue it with excellence. Now, I have belonged to Toastmasters for nearly five years. Went, started at the invitation of John Folks. John says, come on, we got, I'll buy your lunch. Sounded like a winner to me. Now, I have continued to go as long as I'm in town or I'm free. Now, a lot of people say, well, why would you go to Toastmasters? Well, it's pretty obvious to learn how to be a better speaker. I mean, if God's given me the ability to speak, why not learn how to do it even better? How better to learn not to talk and go, uh, uh, and then, uh, 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 all the time, but actually to speak in honest-to-goodness sentences. You know, be the best at whatever you're at. Be the person that whenever a situation comes up, that maybe somebody says, wow, this is a job for Bob or Barbara or Bill or Betty or whatever. Make it your goal that whenever people are seeking somebody to solve a problem, you're the kind of person whose name kind of gets fast-tracked to the top of the list. I have been blessed in every church that I have ever pastored to know that there are certain people that whenever I have a problem of some kind, I can pick up the phone and call them and know that that problem will get taken care of pretty quick. There are people like that in your life. If you seek to be the best in your area of giftedness, you're going to have an opportunity to be used by God. Now, how do you do your best? Oh, man, there it is. Pray, study, train, practice. I don't know any better way to get better at something than to pray for it. Lord, bless my gift. Lord, give me a gift. Lord, show me my gift. Study that gift. Train, learn under somebody else, and then just actually go out and do it. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Now, I don't know if i got a picture up here of Booker T. Washington. I do it. Booker T. Washington said, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. Whenever I hear that quote, I think of a lot of former students of mine back when I was a high school teacher. Now, teachers often have... Assignments, do reports. I know from nearly 18 years of teaching that if I told students I want a 6 to 10 page paper, I can guarantee that about 98% of them will be 6 pages and they will have struggled to get to 6. They'll try to turn in a 5.5. But I always had those students that whenever they had a report to turn in, they didn't just flop down some folder they put it in a binder with a cover sheet, and they had key points highlighted. They had pictures, they had diagrams, and that 10-page thing was probably 12 pages with footnotes and a bibliography. 
And on top of that, their work was never, ever late. Everything they did when it came to their schoolwork, they did with excellence. They didn't try to slide by on the seat of their pants. Well, here's the second thing you can learn. You need to understand that your best work is often done out of the spotlight. Go back again to some verses that Nancy read before. It says, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. This is where the person who died was. It said, all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Now, I think it's interesting that you had all these professional mourners and weepers in there, and they're all, oh, she died. Look at all the cool stuff she made. Peter goes, get out. Move away. He sent him out of the room. And I think it's because he wasn't there to put on some show. He was not there to entertain this group of mourners. This was about to become serious business. He was about to engage in spiritual battle, and he didn't need a bunch of weepy women, you know, weeping and wailing around him at this time. It was a victory that I think he knew that could only be won in solitude. Now, years ago, believe it or not, I got a call to have a small part in a movie that was being filmed in Chicago. I spent eight-plus hours on a movie set one day to film a three-minute scene. And most of the day was spent with technicians moving back and forth, getting things ready. And then they shot and reshot and reshot and reshot this same scene over and over and over again for eight hours. That's movie making. Eight plus hours of work for a three-minute result, which, by the way, was cut out of the movie. The movie, by the way, is called Windy City, if you ever want to go get it. See, in the same way, God, being used by God, involves doing a number of things over and over and over and over again, kind of off camera, just to make sure things are done right. Now, what happened that day in Joppa with Dorcas was more than just Peter showing up and bringing some dead girl back to life. In addition to the time that he spent kneeling in prayer, there was also the number of years that Peter had spent in the very presence of Jesus, learning how to actually experience God's power. You know, he had seen Jesus, actually, how he'd done healing, how Jesus had prayed, how Jesus drew on the power of his heavenly Father. I mean, the miracle didn't happen just in an instant. It was the result of a lifetime of preparation. Now, sadly, as a church consultant and as somebody who's kind of a church junkie anyway, I've been to a lot of worship services in my life all over this world. I have been to church services, sadly, where the service was about to begin and the worship leader was still picking out songs. Now, that doesn't happen here. I've been places where I've actually seen the worship leader still copying chord charts for the musicians within five minutes of a service being started. I have walked past Sunday school classrooms where I've seen teachers still trying to figure out what they're going to teach and and trying to remember what it is they covered last week so that they could pick up the next week and kind of bluff past these kids this week. Uh, 
and I've actually, sad to say, I've been in churches where the service was minutes away and the pastor still did not know what he was going to preach about that morning. Now, i got to tell you that every time I've ever been in that situation, I have really wanted to go up to that person and say, look, if this is not important enough for you to do ahead of time, then please, please give the opportunity to somebody who will take this seriously. All I'm saying is there's more to uh, being used by God than just showing up. There's more to being used by God than just, I'm here and I'm going to wing it. Believe me, it doesn't work. Been there, tried it once or twice. If you want to be God's go-to person, in whatever area of ministry you choose, there will be some behind-the-scenes, out-of-the-spotlight effort for you, too. I mean, what kind of effort? Well, it goes right back to what I said before. You're going to pray. You're going to study. You're going to train. You're going to practice. I was telling our confirmation kids the other day just a little bit about a sermon. Uh, I don't come unprepared. I hope you don't ever think I come unprepared. I spend a lot of time praying about what I'm going to preach about. A lot of time. Uh, a lot of study goes into what I want to put into it. Uh, a lot of training, practicing. I probably give this sermon no less than maybe six to ten times before I ever deliver it to you. I'm sure that there is sometimes when my wife walks back to my office at home, one doesn't know who I'm talking to on the phone, and all I'm doing is just reading my sermon out loud. She said, well, I thought it was a pretty theological conversation. Here's the third thing. If you want to be used by God, stay where you are as long as you can. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, that doesn't seem to apply to you. Well, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. Stay, as long, stay where you are as long as you can. Verse 43, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, this was not a case of where Peter came breezing into town and then was flying out the other end. This was not what my friends at prison call hit-and-run ministry. You know, when I come and I preach, they say, how, the pastor will say, how do we know Dr. Kolb loves us? And the guys will all shout back, because he keeps coming back. Now, they have a lot of wonderful, well-known speakers who come down there, names that you would, you would re- easily recognize. And they appreciate people coming and teaching and bringing materials. But they also say, it's kind of like hit-and-run ministry. They kind of come in, do their stuff, and they're gone. Well, Peter made a long-term connection with the people of Joppa, and he continued to minister there. Now, if I can just indulge you with another sports uh, story. Uh, In the National Football League, I'm just going to use that as an example today, there are some players who spend their entire career moving from team to team to team to team. You don't even know who they're playing for the next year. In fact, sometimes the season starts, you go, oh, uh, Terrell Owens is playing for them this year. And then there are some other people who are with that team their entire career. They have chosen to stay in one place and build their legacy with one team. Now, like many of you, I I know some people in business that could have been extremely successful if they would just stayed in a job longer than six months or one year. 
But every time something slightly better comes along, what do they do? They jump. They're convinced the grass is always greener somewhere else. I've also known people who could be extremely useful in the kingdom of God if they would only commit to just one church and stick with it. This seems to be happening more often with people today who even consider themselves to be committed Christians. They talk about wanting the deep things of God, but they're always cranky when it comes to church. The worship isn't good. I mean, the, the keyboard player must have mittens on when she plays. You know, the pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, so-and-so didn't smile at me and say hello. Uh, the fellowship isn't genuine. It's not entertaining enough. There aren't enough activities for, you know, old people, young people, in-between people. Now, sometimes you just need to suck it up and deal with it. Like I always say, build a bridge and get over it already. Now, I will have to tell you that there are times in life when it's time to move on. Now, this is not my farewell message, so don't get too excited yet. But there are times when it is time to move on. I mean, Peter didn't stay in Joppa for the rest of his life. He stayed there as long as God called him to be there. And when he felt God calling him to something else, he moved on. See, if you want to be used by God, you need to kind of stick with it as long as you can. That means you don't run at the first sign of being trouble. You don't quit the first time things get difficult. You stay as long as it takes to get the job done. And in the book of Acts, we see that's how Peter was used in a great and mighty way. God worked miracles to him, through him. Brought thousands of people to Jesus, a key leader in the early church. He wrote even a few books of the Bible. Uh, and when you look at who he became... It's kind of hard or easy to forget who he used to be. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do we know about Peter? Well, we kind of see Peter as a rather impetuous person, a guy who opened up his mouth before he put his brain into gear. He often said a lot of really kind of foolish stuff. He was very impulsive prone to saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and prone to doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And they came to arrest Jesus. He pulled out his little fishing knife, you know, little knife. He just cuts an ear off of somebody. He's not even really very good at it. That's Peter. Uh, he often spoke without thinking. Jesus never heard of the guy. Oh, come on. You talk like a Galilean. Nope, not me. Yeah, I never heard of the guy. And so it's sometimes hard to believe that the Peter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the same guy that we read about in the book of Acts. But guess what? They are one and the same. Uh, Peter went from being a fumbling, bumbling, stumbling underachiever to a man used by God in the greatest of ways. Same could be said of you. Have any of you changed it all over the years? Or are you the same stumbling, fumbling, bumbling person that you've always been? I mean, some of you already heard me say that on my 25th anniversary of my high school graduating class, no one was more surprised than my class that, than the, that I became a pastor. In fact, the public school who was having their 
reunion at the same time actually came over to our reunion to see whether it was true. Something happened in 25 years. God works in you. The Holy Spirit works in you. Hopefully, you're different. Maybe a few rough edges had to be knocked off. Maybe a few things had to be smoothed over. Maybe a prior life needed to be forgiven. Uh, Maybe you had to set some things in order, but now today you can say, I'm not where I ought to be, but I sure am different than I used to be. That's what God does, because God wants you to make a difference. He wants you to make a difference in your home. He wants you to make a difference in whatever job it is you have. Uh, He wants you to make a difference in whatever ministry you have. And remember, ministry, again, is whatever you do for someone else in the name of Jesus. He wants you to make a difference. Same with this church. You know, we can make a difference here in this community where God has placed us. And the difference we make can spread all the way around the world. And that's why we need to pursue excellence in our areas of giftedness. What are we good at as individuals and as a church? Take that, excel at it, become the best. Be people who are committed to praying, people who are committed to studying, people who are committed to training, people who are committed to practicing and preparing behind the scenes so that God can use us whenever he should actually shine the spotlight on us. And to commit to see whatever challenge he gives us all the way through, to stick with it till it's done. After all, we can be used by God 